it's a little bit hard to get your head around that. It's just like, oh, yeah, another day, another cyber incident. It's risk and reward, Paul. It's, you yeah. know, how much opportunity do we get to, to make a difference with these tools versus the risk of opening mm. ourselves up to, mm. you know, exploitation? The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Today, very pleased to have Warwick Gray joining me. How are you, Warwick? I'm really well, thank you, Paul. Great to see you again after many, many years of knowing you. Yeah, yeah, look, actually, um, we must take a walk to the, the room next door afterwards because it looks out on a place that used to be the Wang New Zealand building. Yes, indeed. And that's probably my first recollection of, of talking to you, possibly, because it was it was decades ago, so uh, yes, me- memory can, can be a bit hazy. But anyway, so we, we looked down on what was the what was the Wang building from our from our window. Great to catch up. Maybe you can just fill listeners in a, a little bit on where you fit into this big wide world of of tech. You have a, a very long history in the in the technology sector here in New Zealand. But uh, yeah, what are you up to at the moment? Yeah, thank you, Paul. That's great. So I've got a long and varied career, as you know. Like I have a standard policy to be like tech, and that's be brief, be bright, be gone. So I've had very many different roles over the years, but um, initially it began with Renaissance Software many years ago, obviously distributing some of the initial early tech that helped companies enable their businesses. And one of the things we learned how to do was to sort of destroy the past, if you like. So things like photo lithography, things like typesetting were basically industries in their own right, which we single-handedly destroyed at that time. So in terms of hype cycles, it's quite nice to sort of look back and see how even at a local level, anyone can really be engaged with the way we change lives with tech. At the moment, I'm, sorry, part of a a group of things that I'm doing, but we're going to talk today a couple of them. But my brother and I kept a piece of the Renaissance legacy business in terms of a software development company, which emerged uh, into a company called Project Partner. It really is looking at the way that people manage their time and how they capture the time spent on projects and make money from them. So we normally call that category project cost accounting. It's a bit boring, so I tend to talk to clients and say, do you really know what people do with their time? There you go. Yeah, it's <laughs> pretty important to, to know. It is, it is. And I think, you know, through the talk today, we'll be sort of referring a bit to just how important it is that we make the most of time, um, whether it's to do with your business or whether it's working with others. It's uh, it's very important for owners to know what projects are on track, how they're making money from them, which of their employees are more profitable than others based on the efforts they put into the different jobs that they're given. Uh, but we know if we look back over history just how many tech projects have gone so off track and so far off track that you, you really wonder how that could be possible. And fundamentally, it's still quite a tricky thing to do. And most of our big enterprise or government clients pay us really just to do that one little thing, which is get people to put their time into a time timesheet. I think that's uh, quite unique in software companies, not trying to be bigger than everybody else, but just to do the one thing really, really well. Mm. So that's what Project Partner does. Cool, cool. Uh, And we'll we'll delve into, yeah, CompTIA as well um, later on. But Mm. um, before we sort of jump into the the tech news of the week, a big thank you to our show partners, uh, Vodafone, who are soon to be 1NZ, uh, 2 Degrees, Spark, HP and Guerrilla Technology. Um, probably the big sort of local news, and I'm not sure that we actually have, have covered it off over the last couple of weeks, but it, it's got bigger as the um, 
the Latitude Financial Group uh, situation mm. uh, across Australia and New Zealand, and and yeah, initially it was it was um, you know it was clear that they'd been compromised that that somebody had uh, had had broken in and, and stolen data. Now it's on the sort of bigger bigger scale. We're talking you know eight million or so uh, you know people impacted, and I guess that's why it's been become part of the mainstream you know new cycle I was discussing it this morning on um, on on TVNZ's breakfast show but there's really been a you know a whole lot of a whole lot of coverage around it you know what are your thoughts when you hear these sorts of stories because it seems to just just keep coming and and you know in fact I um, you know was having having a quiet chat with a uh, a general manager of a of a you know a, a smaller to medium business um, just in the last last couple of days, who you know quietly told me, oh, we were you know we were hit with X Y Z because our managed service provider were hit late last year, and that was uh, something that you don't necessarily hear about in the media a lot. You know, a lot of the those that are that are impacted, but mm. obviously we are you know just continuing to hear hear these things, and. It does does seem as though we're we're still sort of struggling to uh, you know to cover the basics uh, you know re- reasonably well, uh, or a lot of organisations are, and uh, you know of course we know that you can never be a hundred percent you know perfect on this front, but uh, seems as though we we're, we're just still seeing too many issues. Yeah, I think that as individuals, you know, we're reluctant to not give up the information that we're asked to do, and in fact, you can't even engage with many of these companies if you don't. You know, they, they make it very, very complicated and tricky to become a subscriber. Um, in terms of latitude, I mentioned earlier, you know, I did help with the branding of one of their sub-companies and, you know, it's gone on to big things. But in terms of doing that by signing up, you know, I have probably become a, a victim on that list. I didn't uh, do driver's license or anything, but I'm always surprised at how many emails I've had of recent times letting me know that the company has been breached. I think one was Ticketmaster, you know, that ticketing agency and um, they had to sort of look into what happened and they apologise but they don't really step up and help the people that have been their their core audience to know what to do, you know, what what should they do. So I think Latitude's done a good job of fronting up to some degree but in the end they still have lost data and in terms of the industry and how it's set up, there's no excuses for that today. No matter what uh, firewalls they have or the endpoint protection that's been broken or their the breaching of their cyber, you know, security model, uh, and I think it's going to be a big subject uh, for the future as we look to see what repercussions individuals can do to potentially not sue them, but obviously they've got to take more responsibility. Yeah, it does seem as though you know there, there still needs to be uh, you know some legislative action that that you know brings more accountability, whether it's at the director <coughs> level or. You know what have you, and and you know certainly we've we've you know we've seen there being uh, an increased weight on on uh, uh, of responsibility on on directors when it comes to health and safety in recent years, uh, data privacy um, to a to a degree, um, but cybersecurity still seems to be. Mm. Um, yeah, not uh, and and of course cybersecurity and 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 data privacy are uh, are linked, of course, when uh, when an organisation is compromised these days, and, and, mm. and you know, unfortunately, in, in a lot of cases, um, you know that that does lead to um, to to data leaks. So, 
Yeah, not a not a great um, you know incident. I, I guess what I always hope with these things is, is every time we hear this news that that it, it just raises that question. You know, what can what can we do for those that are that are hearing the news? What can we do to you know improve our our risk profile from a cybersecurity perspective? Where are we at? Mm. What are we doing? And mm. um, Obviously, that 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 might things might move a bit quicker if there was legislation in there, you know, as well that, that uh, included you know hefty fines and and, mm. and so on. Um, but uh, the the news in itself, hopefully, is uh, is prodding people along. One of the one of the interesting ones here was data going back uh, seventeen years. So you know they've latitude uh, have have held on to data that. When you look at it, do they do they need to be keeping that mm. data? And yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm curious even around some of the data that they they do hold, and uh, and we've seen this with some of the other incidents where it's it's uh, documents such as a, a passport or a driver license that has been taken. Um, yeah, it does raise some raise some questions around. You know, do you really have to hold? Um, a copy of those documents, and so you know there, there might need to be some um, some work done in those regards as well. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I would have thought would that you, you should you know be able to treat it in, in some ways like a like a credit card, right? You, you know, most organisations aren't going to hold a copy of a credit card. Uh, you know, they're they're going to hold a, a token that allows them to bill that credit card again and again and again, but they don't hold the full details uh, of the credit card themselves uh, and I think you know we, we need that sort of approach when it uh, when it comes to uh, these these key documents and um, you know once the verification's done that should be it hopefully um, well we're, we're so often asked to give our information up like you can't even book a ticket or a show or a movie or anything like that without having to give up your credit card number and the expiry date and the CVC on the back. Um, you have to. So, I mean, you're immediately exposing yourself as an individual whatever way you interact with anything. Mm. And unfortunately, individuals still can't really be responsible for their own security. So, you know, the the rules are changing very quickly and these companies have a a big responsibility to act. Uh, If you think of Pinnacle and Pinnacle Health in the Waikato, Waikato yeah. District Health Board. Yeah, it's yeah. not a it's not an individual's problem. It's small and medium business. It's a medium business, and as we know, you know, one district health board was compromised when another wasn't. So, somebody's view of the systems needs a bit of a, a rethink. And we are, as we'll talk some more about CompTIA, globally out of the communities that we have, the idea of cybersecurity insurance for partners is coming up again and again in terms of who's actually at fault, who did Latitude use, what went wrong in the structure of the cybersecurity matrix of products that they use to stay protected and what actually did go wrong. Mm. Now, that's obviously something that, that's yeah, very much had a, had a local impact in New Zealand. But looking out internationally, we've heard the news that Intel co-founder Gordon Moore uh, has yes. passed away at 94. Now, obviously, a, a name that that you know many of our listeners will be, uh, yeah, very familiar with. Um, you know, especially because of uh, Moore's Law being being named after him. What has Moore's Law sort of you know meant to you throughout your time in the and you know within the technology sector? Um, because it's it's you know it, it's been a, a predictor of. Increase in, in computing power since I, did, I, did, I actually can't remember when uh, uh, when it 
when it started out. I'll uh, I will have a look and uh, and and share that. But uh, you know, this idea of um, uh, the doubling of, of transistors on uh, mm. on on chips and uh, and you know, we, we really saw it really lead to this this exponential growth. Um, and computing power. Well, I guess it can be debated. You know, was it was it Moore's law that kind of you know helped uh, push things forward, or was it that things were going to move forward at at that pace even if Moore's law didn't exist? Yeah, no, it's true. I think uh, without uh, telling everybody just exactly how old I am, obviously <laughs> Moore's law was very relevant in the early years of of my tech career because we were always trying to push the boundaries of what a device could do and. In my earliest days of technology, I'd be trying to rock up to somebody with an IBM-compatible computer in their office and it would take me two hours to install the runtime of Windows that I'd need to actually show them what a GUI looked like and then 12 floppy disks of PageMaker to put in there. You know, I'd get down <laughs> to the last one and I'd run out of room and then I'd have to go into the DOS console and try and remove files and it was a three- or four-hour process just to give one demonstration of some software. So... Obviously, with those really high demand uh, usages like Photoshop mm. and uh, desktop publishing, you know, they we needed that processing power to enable the the true capabilities of the software we were taking to market. And mm. Mm. really, it was something that ran for for many years. You know, this doubling of power meant that every two years we could recommend reasons why companies should replace the hardware they got. And you know, as a hardware salesman, it was a very good time. So, thank you, Gordon. Mm. I have to say. <laughs> And it's interesting, isn't it? Because we, we, largely, I think uh, you know most organisations move to uh, you know, replace computers after three years. Most warranties are, are, are three years. Um, there, there are some aspects that that have changed. You know, we we're not you know, really relying on Moore's law now. We're not seeing that uh, that doubling of of you know um, computing uh, performance or. or you know, transistors and a microchip every, you know, every every you know two years in the same way we were, mm. uh, and and I guess it's yeah, it's, it's not just in computers. We, you know, we look at say um, I was having a look at the new uh, some of the new Samsung phones uh, this week, and the difference between last year's model and this year's model, you know, uh, it's quite minor it's in quite a lot of, in a lot of cases, mm. and and we you know we're seeing that with with a lot of a lot of technology, so um, yeah, I think it, it made it very, very easy to have that that uh, discussion because yeah, the the pace of improvement was so fast, but mm. it's, it's not as much. But it's still very helpful. You mm. know, a device that's three years old is is still you know often, particularly in a business scenario where it plays into someone's productivity. Right, it's a little bit different mm. in, in a home situation where. Um, yeah, it's not necessarily sort of you know paying for itself, yes, and and so on. Um, but yeah, there are those other aspects around you know, reliability and you know ability just to run the run the run the latest software at at pace and, and make the user uh, productive. That that have you know probably helped keep us in that place where where three years has uh, you know has, mm. has largely been the norm. But we see variations where. You know, some will stretch it out to, to four or five years, but of course the, the technology is so much cheaper now too, isn't it? Oh, it is. And also the way we buy and procure software has changed considerably. I mean, in the early days, there would be a couple of years between upgrades. I mean, Windows itself would generally be a three-year, two, two three-year cycle. Uh, so people were quite ready for the, the new things that were going to be offered in those products, and they'd also been 
hyped up for quite a few months prior um, as we could see what was going to be possible with the advent of Moore's Law and the new the new products. But with software as a service now, you know, people are getting dished up features all the time. Um, and it's not in that way where you really know what's happened yet. I think of, you know, something ubiquitous like Microsoft Word that I never, you know, I mean, I've learned how to touch type over the years just to be able to be more productive. But now I don't type at all. I mean, I just dictate to Word and copy it from there into emails. And if people haven't checked out the dictate in Microsoft Word at the moment, I suggest they do so. It's bloody good. Um, they've got Nuance, which was the product that you may remember as OmniPage and Dragons, naturally speaking. So, you know, they were clunky and very processor intensive in the early years. And now they're so built into the software, you don't even know they're there. So most of my career has been showing people potential of software and what they can do with it. Um, and these incremental upgrades with software that you don't know mean that people don't know what to do. So Windows 11 has just come out with the least fanfare of any Windows I remember in the last 30 years, and people don't even realise they're on it. So that sort of makes it difficult, I suppose, for marketers to have breakout features like we used to do, like really Renaissance was founded, and success was founded on the fact that I'd show people how to attach text to a circle and it Every, there'd be claps and applause from the audience for that one little feature. And, you know, we're a much more complicated world now. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we really are. Um, now, I guess, yeah, look, looking at that, um, you know, looking at it Intel, you know, comparing the, you know, the other players and, in that chip making space, I mean, the, the the world has become, has become very complicated and, uh, you know, Intel have, have certainly had their, their ups and downs, um, you know, they're they're certainly not uh, in the place they 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 were a, a decade or or two ago. Um, you know, the the ARM uh, based chips that uh, that we see across our mobile devices, across uh, you know the the Apple mm. uh, devices that uh, that many of us use, you know, laptops and and and. Uh, you know, all of the Macs and and, and the like, um, you know, has changed that uh, that whole picture, uh, and and now we've got, uh, I guess, the the geopolitical uh, challenges coming in, where uh, you know there's chips being made in China, but the US is uh, wanting to make sure that uh, that they've got good supply and that they're they're um, you know not. Uh, not at a disadvantage as the, mm. as the world changes around them. So it's a, it's a very fascinating space when it when it comes to uh, um, yeah you know, the role of the microchip is you know, mm. just so ubiquitous, right? We're all I don't I don't know that uh, you know we we could probably if we were if we roll back you know thirty years if we could have imagined you know the the technology that we have today the Mm. Yeah, the smartphone sitting in our in our pockets, or uh, you know, Bluetooth earbuds with with you know chips in them mm-hmm. um, that can run for hours and hours, and you yeah. know just how much co- you know electricity that that we needed to uh, to to run a computer and the big CRT monitors and the that's right was it typically mm. a mega RAM um, at at that stage? So I, yeah, I think it, it is it's very fascinating the the role of where sort of Moore's law fits in and how looking back the role that it has played but also the overall role of, of technology compared to sort of where we've landed today. Yeah, I think we've all been through quite a number of what I call the hype cycles or lots of people have called mm. them that, you know, from the 
uh, graphical user interface. And obviously then in the late 90s, we started to get the internet, network computers, backup and storage. You know, then we went into cloud, then we went into internet and Google search. Um, all of those are quite big things, but I don't think they're you know, paradigm shifting necessarily. Uh, all they have become now is complications for small and medium business partners to navigate because there's only so much time in the day and to keep up with all of them is virtually impossible. So most of the you know, members of CompTIA, if you like, that are in the reselling of products and services are having to adapt really quickly. You know, the supply chain issues that have been uh, affected by the geopolitical things you refer to has meant that their business model is not sustainable necessarily. Um, and if they have to wait, you know, that whole month sales might be out the window. Um, and it's that supply chain and, you know, people staffing challenges of today that make it a really difficult landscape, really, for a small and medium business reseller in New Zealand to, to thrive. And I think, you know, we look at most of them have a million dollar turnover and 10, 10 staff. I mean, you know, you can make a small business work with that. Um, but ultimately, are they being safe, responsible, reliable and trustworthy for all those clients? in terms of this technology landscape we're in. And most of that's being driven by the ability of software developers to solve a problem very quickly. And I think the apps uh, generation on an iPhone has led to business apps. You know, Microsoft's Azure Marketplace means any reseller can access products and solutions from anywhere in the world mm-hmm. and, uh, and sell them and obviously leverage the opportunity they present. But um, most are too small to have the time to do that. So... It's, a, it's, a, it's not an easy landscape at the moment with inflation and recession fears and staff movements and, um, you know, quiet quitting, which is where people yeah, are quickly yeah. taking a job that someone's offering them more money and, you know, there's just not enough people to fill the gap. 15,000 um, shortages in the IT industry in New Zealand alone and, you know, an immigration policy that isn't really supportive of bringing in the skills we need. So, you know, New Zealand Inc. is a bit at risk here, I think. Yeah, you're right. Now, you mentioned um, CompTIA. This is an organisation that that you've been involved in. Um, Tell us a little bit about your role and and where sort of CompTIA fits into the the broader um, Mm. picture because it it stands for Computer Technology Industry Association. So it's actually quite quite broad, isn't it? Yeah, it is broad. It's a global organisation that's been set up uh, to do two things. One is to do vendor agnostic uh, certifications and course development. So, you know, increasingly in the world today, employers are trying to upskill people that are looking to um, uh, embrace their career and go further into certain tech areas or to allow people to get access to skills training that's not necessarily a four-year university course, which we'll talk some more about. Um, but CompTIA itself sells 80 million US dollars worth of um, IT course certifications worldwide second only to Microsoft on the planet, really. And Mm, obviously mm. Microsoft's training is for their own product. So Mm, the leader mm. in the world, I suppose, for tech enablement courses, which are sold in New Zealand through many of the training organisations. But that money that they make, they invest back into the industry. So I sit on the community side, and that's a non-profit part of the global organisation. Very, very strong in networking for the industry in America and in Europe, UK not so known in New Zealand from the community side because Mm. we're a small country. Um, So I've stepped up to be the ANZ executive member for New Zealand along with Greg Sharp and we are working with the exec in Australia to develop uh, community events that anyone in the tech industry can come along and enjoy from a networking perspective and meeting people similarly. But mostly with that agnostic approach, you know, most of the events we go to are product-led or 
led by vendors messaging, which you've got to sift through to figure out what's really going on. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of the COVID period, the timing for back-in-person events is, you know, really about people getting to know people and talking mm-hmm. to people about problems that they've got. And it's not as much the themes of the actual community events as is the networking, what goes on outside and around that. So we've only been active in New Zealand for about three three years. We only get three-year term as a councillor. Um, and we really are just starting to ramp up again in New Zealand, mainly just in Auckland. I mean, I'm hoping I might get a Wellington event away later in the year, uh, but our next meeting in New Zealand is on May 18th, and as I said earlier, it's purely non, non-vendor, but it's looking at cybersecurity insurance this time, and obviously as we'll talk some more about the AI trends and what that means for small partners trying to take advantage of a technology that's you know right at the peak of the hype cycle, I suppose, and Hopefully they haven't slipped into the trough of disillusionment yet. We'll see how we go. <laughs> yeah. um, now on the on the that that cyber security we you know, and and data privacy we were talking about it before. Um, Chat GPT. This is mm, kind of the amazing. you know the exciting buzz at the moment. But Chat GPT actually have have fallen foul of this. Yes. They um, have. So you know some dramas there. They've they've you know put a little bit of. Uh, blame on um, you know some some open source uh, code that they're using, but uh, I mean quite quite a shock. In fact, you know, as an event today, uh, you know, walking an organisation through a futurist mindset and then into a workshop around um, you know, a broad range of AI tools, but with a you know certainly a very heavy focus on on uh, on ChatGPT because that's that's mm. that's the product at the moment and. You know, I had to say to them, "Look, you've got to be, you know, really careful what you feed into to these tools because, yeah, you 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 can't be a hundred percent sure that, uh, um, you know, if you're putting your intellectual property up there, where where that might go." And so, sort of discussing uh, some of those sort of approaches. Now, what we understand in, in ChatGPT's case, um, I think somewhere between sort of one and two percent of of users. Uh, were impacted and potentially had uh, you know somebody else seeing seeing their their info. Now that could have been uh, you know what they were putting in in terms of prompts at the at the chat, things that they were asking for, uh, or credit card details and, and personal account details. So mm. um, yeah, a bit of a a bit of a, a shocker of a of a of a situation. Um, but. Uh, Another thing that caught me about this, and and you know we've seen it in other other circumstances, is Royce becoming sort of you know quite blasé around cyber incidents because there's there's just so many. Mm, there are and, too, too many, and it's uh, it's yeah, it's a little bit hard to get your head around that. Uh, it's just like oh yeah. Another day, another cyber incident. Um, it's risk and reward, Paul. It's, uh, it's like, a shocker. You know, how much opportunity do we get to to make a difference with these tools versus the risk of opening mm. ourselves up to mm. you know exploitation? But uh, in terms of the hype cycles we've seen, I was just reading Bill Gates's notes from Bill today. Yes, you know, yep. he was just yep. talking about how he feels the same about AI tools, the way that he felt when he first saw the GUI and what that would mean for computing and putting that on top of his DOS system, he was ecstatically excited. Mm, he mm. talked of not so much the tool itself, but the opportunities it's got to, I guess, level the inequality in terms of health and education worldwide, which is a, a thing that, if you think about, is extremely unequal. So 
you know, chat GTP and AI and the various tools can enable countries to improve their health delivery um, or uh, education. I think we, we have to ex- explore it, exploit it, and obviously do all we can to sort of get that globalisation story a bit more balanced. And I, I believe that's what's coming. Yeah, um, yeah, we could we could spend a lot of time here talking about AI um, at the moment, but um, yeah, interesting that you should you should um, yeah mention um, you know Bill Bill Gates's um, you know post, which is up at GatesNotes dot uh, com, and it's called "The Age of AI Has Begun," um, and you know I think it is it is worth a read. I haven't uh, haven't actually read all of it. Um, myself, so I do need to uh, uh, catch up on that and uh, and and get the um, uh, the full thoughts. But you know, I I you know really do believe that that this is you know a very very big shift in in mm. um, technology. That it, yeah, it's hard to work out what you can actually uh, mm. compare it with and and how it plays out. Um, I, I think you know we all need to be you know watching it pretty closely and and looking at you know how and where is it appropriate to apply this technology, uh, you know what are the the associated risks, um, mm. but yeah how do we get good outcomes from uh, from the latest technology for yeah. for society and 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 back down to individually how do we help our our, mm. our ourselves and our families uh, do well because we're, we're using technology appropriately. Yeah, well, uh, I think, you know, everybody needs to find within their organisations a champion. You know, when I was working at Microsoft, we'd always try and find a eager beaver inside the organisation that was interested in what these features could do, how they could apply to the business, and then they'd show the others how to do it. So, you know, early adopters in terms of wearing my M-Tech hat is what I love the most, and, mm-hmm. and you're, you're a good you know, futurist in terms of bringing some of these technologies to people's notice. But in terms of making them real, you've really got to start exploring them quite soon. I mean, already we're, you know, well to two or three years into this. It's not new. It isn't at all new, actually. You know, it's really maturing quickly. But there are applications for everybody, not just health and education, although I don't really think universities will exist in the model that they are at the moment. I mean, why go to university for four years if you can do a, a CompTIA certification course in cybersecurity and get a job within three weeks? So that must upend the traditional model of health uh, education delivery. And the same with health. You know, I think we still don't have that single health record where individuals can be responsible for their own health pathway. And learning about that is, uh, you know, we're well past Dr. Google, let's say, if you're wondering how to manage your own health direction. So... These are the good things. We have to have the. We have to approach it from the fortune that can come, not the fear. And I think the hype is attracting fear and fear mongers about what it will mean and the future of AI. And obviously, talking about the Terminator and the world will be taken over by robots. I mean, like get real. Um, but it is something to consider. Yeah. Look, I, I think it's important to sort of walk through these things and um, you know and get and get your head around them. And yeah, as you say, there's. Um, um, there's there's that value in, in in having you know one or more you know in, individuals that are gonna um, you know take the lead and help drive these things in, inside uh, inside our organisations. Uh, I, th- I think it's really important to you know to our you know broader success as as New Zealand. You know we have often you know really punched above our weight, done really well mm. in in certain areas, and we've seen that with the broader tech sector where. 
Um, yeah, I think we're where are we now? Maybe number number three in terms of um, you know biggest uh, uh, export earning sort of you know generation techs mm. you know moving up. Um, but you know the technology investment network have, have said, look, we're we're not too far off from tech potentially being our number one, um, mm. you know, export earner. But of course, most of our firms don't see themselves as 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 tech firms. But you know, actually, the opportunities of of utilising you know tech inside every organisation, mm. you know, to a degree, says well, actually, yeah, if, if every firm is a is a tech firm to one degree. Yep. Uh, or another, and so you know we have to bring this into uh, you know to all our organisations and and be making sure we're not getting uh, left behind. And yeah, mm. sometimes we've 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 really innovated so well uh, as a country, and and yeah, of course that comes down to uh, individuals and 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 teams that have helped really push through. You know, Rocket Lab, of course, one of our. Um, you know, most I think exciting exciting stories in recent years, but there's there's a there's a whole bunch more, um, and uh, yeah, we've we've got to you know make sure that 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 we keep sort of pushing the barriers and uh, and and pushing forward on these things. So yeah, I think uh, keeping keeping up with it is getting you know so much harder for everybody. Which um, just speaking about CompTIA again, you know, we have five global priorities as part of the the vision for the organisation, which is around cybersecurity clearly, um, managed service providers and how to help them thrive in this complicated t- market. But the third big pillar is around emerging tech or mtech and helping people see through uh, the various trends we're seeing, you know, blockchain and AI and all the other things that might or might not be relevant to try and help them navigate through. And I mean, really, I, I often talk of myself as a futurist, a bit like yourself, but all I'm really trying to do is help people see the output that that can be gained from some of these new tools as it applies to them. So, you know, the role's really an educator, you know, helping people to not have that fear and to have the confidence to explore. And when you look at some of the things and the, the practical examples of seeing chat GTP demonstrated and all the other AI, I mean, it's not just the only one, um, people are immediately seeing the applications and then they can start to work on what they might do to monetize that. And linking that back to the theme of time and how limited we all have it. You know, at my age, I'm running out of time with 20 good summers left, they say. Um, <laughs> I am trying to make companies understand how much time is lost. And so one of the project partners' goals is if people that are working from home, you know, don't get stressed about that. Let them let them have that lifestyle option, but make sure they fill out their timesheet so you can either apply that work to a project and tasks that you can monetize or at least to gather the intel about where they are spending their time because we have got a couple of government departments and their their only requirement of staff is 24 hours billable against a 40-hour paid working week. And you think, well, really, what are they doing for all that rest of that time? So it's quite easy to slip a timesheet opportunity in front of a company and say, well, if everybody just put their time in against things we do, marketing, sales, meetings, planning, um, you get a much bigger and clearer picture of where your profitability is. And I think... In the end, everybody has to focus on the business criteria and profitability, whatever they are, whatever business they're in, and know how to pull those levers. And I think uh, Mercury is one of our biggest clients. Use it for interdepartmental billing when they're charging to another department, which happens quite a lot in these bigger organisations. And so um, I, I just feel like we've got such a short amount of time, you've got to make the most of it, but be very specific about where you're going what you stand for and the storytelling behind 
each and every brand that um, we meet. So it's a very crowded marketplace, the tech industry. But what I love is these software as a service companies. I mean, I don't know if you've been to any of the Kiwi SaaS meetings, but they're just hotbeds of ideas and mm. technology challenges and how they're overcoming them and what their big idea is and what they're going to solve worldwide. And you would think that they'd be happening in other parts of the world. But, you know, I just that, that New Zealand innovation thinking is quite a unique thing in our country that um, it's great to see that being embraced and these problems being solved and, you know, Velocity, Vista, you know, there's so many stories of mm. software companies mm. in New Zealand that are going global. And, I mean, I, I, I just love and applaud their efforts. Yeah, actually, uh, interesting you should mention uh, Kiwi SaaS because this week they have uh, Southern SaaS uh, taking taking place. And uh, uh, apologies, I've let the entire side down by mentioning it now because <laughs> it's now sold out. Um, there is a wait list, um, so uh, there, there might be an opportunity still uh, get in, but it, it looks like a really uh, a really exciting event, and you know I think look it it it, it shows us that um, you know government can uh, can you know, can get in and, and really make a difference, and um, you know uh, New Zealand trade and enterprise sort of you know sit sit behind um, um, Kiwi SAS or they're 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 hosting it and uh, Callahan. Uh, innovation uh, involved there as well, right? So um, um, yeah, and and many listeners will know uh, Brett Roberts, who's a, a regular on the show as as well. Um, so they're, they're, I mean, there's a whole bunch of of, of people involved there, but uh, yeah, really exciting to have an event like this and mm. to you know bring people together to uh, uh, to learn from and 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 inspire each other. And certainly in terms of if we if we look at this future. You know that we're hearing about for New Zealand, um, mm. the 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 SaaS or software as a as a service, um, you know, sector needs to keep developing and growing, and we need to learn from from those that have been you know successful at taking products out uh, yeah. onto the global stage. And so, uh, yeah, I'm very very much looking looking forward to um, you know to getting some some time um, there on. Uh, on Thursday and uh, and seeing what I can I can learn. So uh, if you if you are about the event, uh, definitely you know feel free uh, pop up and and say hi if you see me uh, wandering wandering around. Good idea. Yeah. I think you know your New Zealand uh, managed service providers or resellers really are needing to diversify somewhat. And I think the partnerships with a number of the organisations in Kiwi SaaS will be something we'll see a lot more of as we sort of put that Rubik's Cube together of products and solutions because the developers of these software products need channels and they eventually will need one. Most of them are going direct in the beginning, but mm. um, ultimately for scale they need that. And I think uh, many MSPs could take the products that are being developed in New Zealand and add them to their portfolio of products that they sell, um, perhaps prematurely in terms of where the vendors are at, but certainly a, another revenue stream to explore I mean, many of them apply to all kinds of different business sizes. So, you know, get in early and get that revenue stream growing from these partnerships. So, yeah, yeah. yeah everyone should go along to Kiwi SaaS. Big fan. I'm That's a member good. myself, so I have to say it. <laughs> yeah. And Brett's an old friend, so why, why wouldn't we? Excellent. So a couple of other things to cover off. TikTok uh, keeps being in the news, and of course their uh, CEO has been um, at, what is it, a, a congressional hearing type situation, uh, you know, speaking uh, grilled by uh, Congress sort of scenarios that we're seeing again with their folks. 
I'm I'm seeing a yeah, range of interesting uh, commentary coming through. One report out of Australia uh, saying that hey, TikTok cannot be considered a, a private company um, just because of how how tightly things are uh, linked to the Chinese Communist Party, mm. which. Um, yeah, I think uh, some people would would maybe uh, struggle to take that on board and and you know suggest that there's ulterior motives and it's very much political. Uh, some of the pushback on um, on TikTok. Um, personally, I'm you know I'm I'm pretty you know concerned uh, you know about varying aspects to to do with uh, uh, TikTok. So um, yeah, I think we, we we've got to. A, a time of some sort of you know turbulence uh, ahead as the US tries to work out what they're going to do and uh, and I guess my hope is that the that whatever happens uh, you know works out well for New Zealand because we're just sitting off to the sidelines right I mean we don't have much uh, mm. uh, much oomph at this at this stage unless you know the government really um, really feels that uh, um, it's a it's a it's a major deal. Um, but we're, we're, you know, such a small percentage of their user base. Mm. Um, New Zealand, as such, probably has has very limited amount of power. Yeah. Um, that yeah. said, you know, we have we have sometimes seen you know smaller uh, um, countries be able to make an impact, you know, globally by um, you know taking a stand one one direction or or another, uh, taking some leadership, and and sometimes um, others will follow, but. I imagine there's, there'll be there'll be there'll be some debate there as to how folks feel. Uh, I think because about, it's a consumer product, the the actual users of the software don't actually care that much. Um, in terms of the business use, if you think of something like Kaspersky, that basically a friend of mine from HP was running that across ANZ, and the business went away overnight with that you know anti-Russia sentiment, and mm, so mm, you know that mm, brings us back to just thinking mm. carefully about the products and things that are being used and what could be behind them. I mean, ultimately, that cybersecurity threat is not because of things in New Zealand as a rule. So that's fair, but ultimately, if we think of our global market and that we're all people, (laughs) you know, these geopolitical things will continue to interfere in multiple ways that um, life will never be the same again. Mm, mm. It's a shame, really, because... You know, we, we've been debating whether TikTok should have a place in our business marketing strategy on numerous occasions, um, along with all the other options. But, you know, that, that channel, if you like, for, for storytelling has found its place in TikTok. So, you know, what does that tell us about the way people behave and what they like to use? And I always talk in marketing with clients, you know, you're not really creating content. You're, you're trying to create content that people will share on your behalf hashtags and, you know, shareable videos. Your podcast is an example of content that people can give to, to do good is what we really want to get to. So, you know, maybe it's a platform that won't be around too much longer based on the geopolitical structure we've talked of. Yeah, I'm, I, look, I, I, I'm not sure it's going gonna, it's gonna to go away. There might be some structural changes, ownership changes and, you know, other bits and pieces. But, yeah, that, that certainly is, you know, is is one one option that it might go away in a market or or what have you, um, but yeah, we'll see how it plays out. But you know, putting on the sort of the business hat, if you're, you know, um, if you're a business owner or or someone trying to build a, you know, a personal brand, become an influencer, you know, there's a whole lot of, you know, scenarios whereby um, TikTok is a, is an absolutely brilliant. Uh, platform to be using so you know you might hear from me some 
you know, <laughs> some some negative feeling towards, uh, you know, some of their their cybersecurity and you know other uh, practices. Um, look, if if you're creating content, that's where the audience is right now. So uh, so yeah, you have to find your find your way through that and uh, and figure out how to how to take advantage of uh, mm. um, of of what's relevant at the moment. Now, it's the hype cycle again. You know, I think yeah. we've slipped into the trough of disillusionment with TikTok, <laughs> but we'll see what happens in the next year or so. Eh? Yeah. Um, now I saw a news headline through the the BBC around um, Lindsay Lohan and Jake Paul being hit with. Um, um, charges from Security and Exchange Commission uh, in the US over uh, crypto scheme that uh, that that they and and number of others sort of you know got in and and promoted without uh, necessarily there being the appropriate transparency to say actually we're promoting this because you know we do well if if you you know follow our links or mm. you know what have you whatever the exact uh, scenario was there um, you know I think. Um, yeah, I think that maybe maybe they were given sort of you know set uh, specific fees to you know to promote this stuff, but probably uh, not not a not a not a great uh, scenario. Um, but in the in the last few days, I've seen um, I have a, an Instagram account um, for those that are that are curious or Instagram users. It's at Paul Spain NZ, so it's different to my other ones. It's got the NZ on because uh, by the time I got round to Instagram. Uh, Somebody, Some, somebody, I think, in Spain or in Europe had uh, had 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 snaffled uh, that one. Um, but the scenario that that I've got now is one whereby I'm seeing that uh, there are fake accounts that are popping up that look, you know, look as though they're they're my profile because they've basically duplicated the, you know, my picture, my name, uh, you know, a little bit of a write up and so on. Uh, and then they go out and start trying to, you know, connect mm. with uh, with people that they know I know through, you know, other social media platforms and 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 Instagram, you know, and and so on. So the one I was looking at today, I don't know, had had uh, attracted a couple of hundred or so so followers, and yeah, you know, as far as I can tell, pretty you know, reasonably short space of time. Mm. Uh, there was one last week which uh, which. Uh, a number of people reported, and it didn't get shut down. Um, in order to get that shut down, I, you know, had to form, and I was kind of curious to see whether this was was uh, the appropriate action. But I wanted to sit back a couple of couple of days, hoping most of my followers are, are reasonably switched on and aren't going to get uh, weren't going to get scammed. And look, it's not a platform I have a, have any huge following on at all. But yeah, I just sort of sat back because people were saying, "Oh, we've reported this, we've reported it." So a number of people were reporting it. Back to Meta, and the interesting thing was that Meta's algorithms, AI, you know, whatever their 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 process was for looking at that account, which had been reported, yeah, you know, is very clear that it was using the same photo mm. that my you know official you know account had, um, and that the information was duplicated. It's somewhat head scratching that after forty eight hours, with multiple people reporting the account. Mm. Uh, that their technology wasn't smart enough to be able to go, yeah, that is very, very, very highly likely uh, to be a, a scam scenario. Yeah, I wonder uh, why they don't actually, you know, sort of have a net that must be able to be set up to protect the individuals like yourself that do already have a profile 
and then make it almost faceless of them to make it easy to find out and get help, especially as individuals, because you know many of the social network users that are listening would probably have had their Facebook or their Insta hacked as well. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I don't think it's it's unique to me. And as I said, it's not like I have any sort of you know large following uh, on there in the in the broader in the broader scheme of of things. Um, but it, it's it's odd to me that um, you know probably you know you, you bring together a, a, a couple of you know uh, developers, computer scientists, what have you. You kind of look at it. You think I think I could probably largely solve this issue. Mm. Um, and and you know, not necessarily. I'm sure there are, there are complexities to it, but you know, hold on. This account's got the same name and the same photo. Uh, it's coming from a different country, or it's you know there there are enough things that indicate that it's a that it's a copy. Mm. And then there will be very common indicators in terms of what the usage habits are with. With those things, oh, a bunch of people are now getting you know messaged in a reasonably, you know, short space yeah. of time and uh, well, they, and 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 whatnot, right? So uh, they, yeah. you know, identity theft thing really. When you think of what what they're doing, you know, they they've got the algorithms watching for content and obviously you know abhorrent content being posted. So you know they're intervening very quickly on the things that they think matter. Uh, they're not intervening very quickly when it comes to identity protection, and I think that'll be something that you will hear more. Look, I you know I brought this up with Meta, and they they you know they were here in the office just in, in the I don't know the last three weeks or so, um, and I put some questions to them of of which um, you know interestingly, uh, following that discussion, I don't recall having having seen uh, seen a lot back on on the on the hard questions that that were asked. I'm sure they're very busy and they've been laying off people and and it's very complicated. And they have previously talked about. Uh, the number of of you know fake accounts and and so on that they have uh, that they, their algorithms do clamp down on, um, which, which you know is great, um, but of course yeah we don't we don't see that information on a you know on a daily basis. Mm. What you see is where someone has you know broken into a, a, a friend's account and. Um, Maybe yeah, at some stage we'll have Peter Griffin back on the show. In fact, I think he's got a, a listener article maybe uh, coming up around his uh, his Facebook account being uh, uh, compromised and 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 taken over. Um, but it, yeah, it does seem as though that they've got they've got some issues that they they could address. Now, one of the ways in which they're doing this is they're they're moving to a you know a monetized model. So uh, and following in the footsteps of Twitter, you can pay for a verified account. And they're saying, look, that's going to that's going to help protect you against these sort of scenarios. Mm. Now, um, I can see that's you know that's pretty wise from a, a revenue generation uh, perspective. Mm. Uh, very much, a, I, I guess you look at it as an as an insurance policy, right? Because you've got to pay upfront. Mm. Um, I one of the questions I you know have put to them in the past is, look, you know, people have lost their accounts, you know, can spend weeks or months trying to get their accounts back. In some cases, never do. Uh, yeah, why don't you have something where people can pay benefits? You know, five hundred dollars to, you know, have that opportunity. Now, of course, that then creates an issue because there's a bunch of people that aren't going to be able to necessarily afford that. But um, I, th- I think there's there's plenty of opportunity ahead uh, for for you know our social media companies to to still innovate and to figure out and solve some of these <laughs> uh, these problems that we've been seeing for years and years and years. So. Um, 
Oh, I think yeah. it comes back to the influence. You know, you, if you're going to have an audience and you're going to have influence, you've really got to sort of take take care of that. I mean, really, as a person that is uh, quite social and a bit of an influencer, I'm not sure that I'd trust Lindsay Lohan as a guide to my cryptocurrency procurement. But um, <laughs> you know, you can't protect stupid all the time. <laughs> yeah, look, and and uh, but you know, you you think about it. Well, if someone with that sort of profile, you would think, well. You know, they or an advisor to them must you know must have done their research if they're posting about you know something. Mm. But uh, um, and I guess to join up the dots, uh, you know, I've been asked of well, why would anybody want to compromise you know your account pool? What what mm. would be the benefit of that? Yes. Um, and and you know what we're uh, you know what we know is is it it, it tends to be around um, you know being able to promote you know crypto. Uh, scams or you know whatever the scam is, but mm. you know usually something investment related. And so if someone gets access to your network and 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 you're trusted, and whether that's that you've got a small network or a large network, uh, if you've got you know trusted people and you can convince somebody, uh, you know, or multiple people in your network to uh, to make an investment, that can be a, a very very good play for. Mm. Um, or, or a very evil play, um, but can can you know can be a successful play for uh, for for um, a criminal. So um, yeah. Well, there's a global market for it, isn't there? And if you think back right to the beginning, what we talked about, you know, that idea of security and cyber security, and who actually is protecting you, um, you've got to start with protecting yourself as much as possible with the way we set up our passwords and the way we change them more frequently, and generally try not to use the same one for everything. To make it easier for them to take advantage of that, as well as your profile, which you know clearly is yours, but you know with deep fakes and with AI coming soon, we'll have a, you know, a chatbot AI generated Paul Spain that you will probably do the, the podcast without you, soon. <laughs> no, this <laughs> is too much not. fun. The last story, I just want to just wanted to give it a mention. Um, it hasn't really got a lot of coverage, but I I just thought, boy, this is the sort of thing that we that we that we hear about as a possibility. Um, and the Register uh, wrote a story on it that China sought control of submarine cables in order to spy, uh, according to the outgoing uh, president of uh, Micronesia. So just, you know, the, there's there's all sorts of, uh, you know, rabbit holes uh, going on, but, you know, we've heard of these sort of concerns and, and we've seen scenarios whereby, um, you know, the... The ownership needs to be in a particular way for uh, you know, the submarine fibre optic cables to to be able to be put in place between, for instance, New Zealand uh, and the US. And uh, yeah, now we're you know we're hearing some some um, interesting you know accusation, accusations uh, here. And uh, yeah, for those that are that are curious about these sorts of things, you may want to. Uh, uh, may want to go and look that one up for 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 a few more uh, a few more details, but certainly the world seems to be getting uh, more and more complex by the day. It uh, does. I think sometimes it's nice to be a little island down the bottom of the world where yeah. we can just get on and have a have a great summer, hopefully without uh, interference too much. But I think the Battle of the South China Sea is an example of just how you know geopolitical factors are going to always be influencing the direction of the world as we go. So you know we have to. Take care in everything that we do. We do indeed. Um, that's good. Well, I think we, we've sort of, you know, we've we've covered off and delved a bit into 
into your work with with CompTIA and uh, and Project Partner. So that's great. If folks are wanting to find out a little bit more, where where would they go to uh, to to find out more in both both those cases? Yeah, well, I think CompTIA is the one I'm really sort of keen to promote today, just because if anyone is in the IT industry, they can register to become a member of CompTIA for free. And they just do that by going to comptia.org and registering their personal details, hopefully safely. Um, I'm the, going there now. <laughs> I'm going there now, Warwick. But the global corporate membership of which Microsoft, Ingram Micro, Red Hat and others buy for their global companies are um, available for purchase. And it just gives access to far more of the in-depth research that they do, more about the certifications, uh, gets companies discounts on courses if they're wanting to do some professional development of their teams and obviously invitations to the community events that we do. So as I said, the next one's coming up on May 18th here in Auckland at Microsoft and we'll be looking at a couple of the themes that we've discussed today. So cybersecurity insurance and you know how can an MSP take advantage of some of the AI tools that are out there. Project Partner, I guess, is uh, my favourite thing to talk about, but we're not here to talk about products today. But if anyone is interested in what their people do with their time or are interested in simple tools to do the time capture, um, they should get in touch. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, thanks for coming in, Warwick. Always always good to catch up. It is often, you know, yes. a, a few years in between times. Uh, yeah, hopefully I've still got a few more left in me yet. <laughs> uh, most of my friends are obviously retiring now as I fast approach uh, Approach 60, but uh, just for the listeners out there, I'm the 16th fastest marathon runner in New Zealand. So trying to keep that uh, health and fitness up to allow the mind to stay agile to all these trends and futuristic things we need to talk about. But thank you for the podcast and thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, great great to see you. And um, yeah, congratulations. It's actually been fun following uh, following your your successes there uh, with, with running. It's, uh, that's awesome. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very yeah. much, Paul. Thanks, Warwick. And uh, thank you again to our show partners, to uh, Vodafone, Two Degrees, Spark, HP and Guerrilla Technology for their support of the New Zealand Tech Podcast uh, and keeping us going. And uh, we'll be back again with you again next week. All right. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.